Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The governor and the Ohio Senate president rang in yesterday with what their response was to our what we discussed yesterday about them being puppets of the natural gas industry. It was interesting, their take. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. We're not really talking about what they said, but let's kick it off with it. The governor basically said declaring natural gas as green energy was a meaningless gesture, which I completely disagree with. It's a very big symbolic gesture. And Matt Huffman basically said anybody that's complaining about it is a tree-hugging greenie. And well, that that's not really the way to go with this, because they have both been proven out to be puppets of the dark money funded by the natural gas industry and have made Cleveland or Ohio a national laughingstock. I had several people sending me the story saying I, we, they just hate being in the national spotlight for being such a stupid state. I mean, they took Can a I fossil the- fuel. Go ahead. Can I read one of the quotes that was in Jake Zuckerman's story yesterday, which I could not believe? It wasn't from a politician, but from one of the people pushing this, the, you know, from the group behind it. And they are talking about green energies. They said what they're referring to as green energy is, by and large, solar panels and wind turbines. They're referred to as renewables, but I think they should be called unreliables because that's really what they really are. You've mm-hmm. never seen a wind turbine rebuild itself. Solar panels work half of the 24-hour period or maybe less than that. They are full of toxic chemicals. They're damaging to the environment. They kill a lot of birds. I mean, this is what these people are selling and well, our state bought. But we bought it. I mean, the governor signed the bill. I couldn't believe Matt Huffman. If you if you think this is ridiculous, you're basically a far left loon. And it's just not the case. I've heard from a lot of people and by far and away, the, the populace thinks this is a disgrace. Natural gas is a fossil fuel. It's probably the cleanest of the fossil fuels, but it's a fossil fuel deeming it green energy. The, the best description is Orwellian. It was just interesting to see the two different takes. DeWine yeah, it, it doesn't mean anything. It means everything. It tells you everything about how Ohio is in the pocket of big business. And anyway, the scary check- thing is, oh, no, I was Go just going to say the scary thing is uh, there are other states that are considering us now, this now. <laughs> so <laughs> Ohio like- has opened this Pandora's box of calling natural gas green energy and other states are wanting to follow suit now. Well, I'm sure there's dark money going to those states, too. Right. So the voters don't matter anymore. We really have entered Orwell's territory. Let's begin. I've read stories about automated Teslas crashing. So, Lisa, how frightened should I be if I drive in the parts of Ohio where automated vehicles, including gigantic trucks, are being tested on rural roads? 
Well, don't be too scared, Chris, because these testing vehicles will have professional drivers at the wheel with their hands on the wheel at all times during this test. So rest assured. But smart vehicle testing is will be taking place in central and southeast Ohio in uh, Athens and Vinton counties. And this is part of the Department of Transportation's Drive Ohio to test new smart technologies. So there will be three passenger vehicles with uh, a, a technology called automos automos stuff i think i'm pronouncing that right and that controls the steering braking and acceleration they'll be driving on divided highways rural two-lane roads they'll be you know dealing with construction zones in limited visibility situations and they're using high definition route maps that include traffic lights lane widths uh, nearby buildings and other structures so it's quite a you know a a, a comprehensive map that these technologies are using. And in central Ohio, on a 35-mile stretch of US 33, which is called the Smart Mobility Corridor, they will have two 18-wheelers that will be connected via technology that allows them to drive in tandem, basically. So the lead vehicle would control the speed, and then the following vehicle would match the acceleration and braking of the lead vehicles. And as I said, drivers will be on hand at all times. Uh, and uh, the uh, Ohio University Mechanical Engineering Professor, Dr. Jay Wilhelm, says the Appalachian area does allow testing of unique situations, and they, they feel like this $7.5 million grant will help them improve rural safety and quality of life in the Appalachians. I, I would be terrified. I drive a lot on highways where you have people driving the trucks, and they're all over the lanes. And I, you know, Ken, Laura and I were talking about this the other day. We both have cars that have that technology that that look ahead. I have a Subaru with Eyesight, and regularly when it rains hard or snows or is foggy, it says, "Oh, we can't see anything. You're done." In Laura's car, once that trigger happens, she can't even use cruise control anymore. So. And we're driving cars and so we're driving them to have a, a automated truck doing it. I just I, it would it would terrify me to be next to that truck on the road. Well, at least they're not testing it on 271, if you know what I mean. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but you're right. And, you know, there's adaptive cruise control now. I, I actually had a rental Subaru that had that, and I actually tested it to see if it would break, and it did. But they are testing unique situations, like limited visibility, as you said. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I do like adaptive cruise control. It works really well. If you're moving at a certain speed and the car ahead of you is slow, the car slows down to match the speed of the car ahead of you. But I'm driving. It's it's not it's not automated. And I you know. I thought of you this morning when we got Cliff Pinkard's overnight note that was like somewhere and I forget where they are talking about implementing fees for people driving too slow. Like you can get a ticket and the fees will go up for if you're driving too slow. I was like Chris oh, I Quinn. Know. Is oh, gonna yeah. like this story. Probably. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. I would love I, that. And get out of the left lane. That's it. They would be fine for driving slow in the left lane. I wish they would do it. I wish they would do it immediately. There's very little that's more aggravating on the highway. It's today in Ohio. The Cleveland Clinic is our biggest employer, so its fortunes affect a great many people. Did it have much in the way of fortunes in 2022, Laura? 
No, you can blame inflation like we do for just about anything else at this point. Uh, the clinic expects to have an operating loss of more than $200 million in 2022. Obviously, 2022 is over. They're still cleaning up the books. But this is what CEO and President Dr. Tom Holovic said at the annual State of the Clinic address on Wednesday morning. This is a huge difference from just 2021. They had their strongest financial performance ever. They had the most clinical activity ever. And their operating revenue reached 12 point four billion dollars. But you know what? Labor costs went up 15 to 30 percent. The cost of drugs and other supplies are up. Energy costs 20 percent. And Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements are lagging behind. The clinic's saying they're still going to follow their mission. They're still going to stay with their building plans, but they're looking for ways to cut back on travel, consultant fees, and administrative hiring. I can't count how many times I've been in conversations with leaders over the years who say, we cannot maintain for the long term three hospital systems that there's just not enough in the in the region to sustain that and i wonder if this is the beginning of that cuz I, I don't think you university hospitals made money last year i thought we had some early reports about their operating revenue being down i don't know what you can say about metro health because of what's gone on over there i don't know what their numbers are if you can trust them but but we have three massive hospital systems that have done a huge amount of building and our population hasn't grown mm -hmm. and the whole system of healthcare is reduced hospital stays. So you need less and less of it. Add to that, that Medicare and Medicaid don't pay their freight for the most part. If you, if you have those and you have a procedure done, the hospital's not getting fully reimbursed for that. How can they continue at this rate? I mean, I think I feel similar that I do to college costs, right? Like they just keep climbing. At some point, there's going to have to be a breaking point, right? And our insurance costs go up every year, whether you're using your healthcare system or not. And all of those buildings that all of those health systems are building, you end up paying for, even if you're not using them, right? Because all of the money is going into the same pot, even if you're not paying that facility fee at that time. I mean, the cost gets passed on to the consumer, right? I love one of the questions at the state of the clinic address saying, is that why you're charging us for my chart messages now? And I was like, whoever asked that? Like, kudos to you. And Mikhailovic said that when patients ask questions during an office visit, they're billed for the pro provider's time and they use the di digital portal. It's the it's the same logic. But you, you do rethink, like, they knew they were losing money. This came in the fourth quarter. Like, they were probably like, where can we, where can we make some money here? The other thing to consider, we know we have top-notch healthcare in Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. All three systems have great reputations. But Lisa, you've talked often in the past year about long waits just to get into the system, that there's no longer the ability to call, say, I have a problem and get in to be seen right away. And that's frightening. It is frightening. And I, you know, just before we came on the air, I was talking about a friend who had major, major back surgery, and she's having problems getting follow-ups with her surgeon, you know, two weeks out. That's crazy. And, you know, I haven't been able to get an appointment within a month on any of the doctors that I currently see. But I also want to point out, you know, labor costs have risen, but, you know, so many nurses, especially in the UH system, became travel nurses that get paid a lot more money than when they were just nurses at UH. So that's probably a big factor as well. Right. It's a cycle, right? It, the labor costs are up and then people leave and then they become, yeah. It, it, I, I don't know what the answer is, but 
obviously it's a problem. Healthcare workers are retiring earlier and changing careers. That was something Mahalovic talked about. There's been declines in patient experience. They're probably getting those from surveys and growing gaps in healthcare equity. So it's not just money. I'm sure money plays a part in all of this, but I, I do think that there needs to be some really hard thinking going on, not just at the clinic. Well, that's why I wonder when does this, the long predicted shakeout come where we're no longer supporting three and then maybe we support two or one. Uh, but bad news from our biggest employer, it's today in Ohio. This might be too strange to be believed, really. If you told me this was happening a year ago, I said it can't happen. Have the Republicans in the Ohio House become even more divided because one faction wants to have tougher ethics laws? And think about that. <laughs> Republicans in the House want tougher ethics laws. I just cannot comprehend this. But, Layla, it is on the eve of the Larry Householder trial. Jury selection starts tomorrow. Yeah, it feels like almost like a we've entered a parallel universe <laughs> in which it's this group of Republicans. But yeah, this this faction of Republicans is led by Representative Derek Marin, who recently lost the House speakership to Jason Stevens because Stevens was able to galvanize a lot of support from his Democratic colleagues. Marin and his allies are still smarting from that, I think. And But Marin said he he had planned for his ethic, for this ethics bill to be part of his legislative agenda when he became House Speaker, which never happened. So he says it's just coincidental that he's now rolling it out on the eve of Larry Householder's corruption trial. But other Republicans say it's not a coincidence, and it's, it's very fitting that these changes be contemplated at this moment as the trial gets underway. They're, they were very embarrassed by the Householder case, and they're they're seeking reform. So, so here, here's what the ethics bill would do. It would require state lobbyists to disclose all income paid to them by individual clients. It would require nominees to the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, which regulates utilities, to, to disclose all previous income from entities regulated by the commission. And this, of course, is in response to First Energy's admission that they paid the former PUCO chief, Sam Randazzo, a multi-million dollar bribe in exchange for some favorable treatment. Um, this bill would also bar elected officials from holding paid corporate board positions unless they held that position before they were elected and unless they also have an ownership stake in that company. The bill would require the ethics disclosures that state and local elected officials fill out each year to be published online. And it would give the State Bureau of Criminal Investigation authority to help with investigations into violations of ethics laws. And also, it would broaden the set of circumstances under which lobbyists have to report which bills they lobbied for and which ones they lobbied against. Yeah, because right now all you get is that they lobbied. They, I don't hear anything in there, though, that would get to the heart of right. the declaration of natural gas to be green energy. That was all. <laughs> no, you laugh, but that was preposterous. That was that was one of the dumbest things Ohio has ever done. And Mike DeWine gleefully signed it. Right. And and we found out through Jake Zuckerman's reporting that, that this was all bought and paid for by rich people in other states that are trying to promote natural gas use, methane use. But I don't hear anything in here that would have forced the disclosure of where all that money came from no. and, and how it might have benefited Mike DeWine and Matt Huffman and those. So I, I don't know that this goes far enough because we got a problem in Ohio when Mike DeWine and Matt Huffman are doing the bidding of rich people from other states right. instead of what's best for the state. Well, and and yeah, that that's 
the, the glaringly omitted from this bill are any kind of changes that improve the transparency to state campaign finance law. So, so dark money would remain at work in politics here in Ohio. I mean, other bills have been proposed to address that issue, but they haven't gone anywhere. And that's absolutely critical. I mean, in fact, some of these provisions, this proposed bill feel kind of like window dressing compared to the elephant in the room, which is the influence of dark money and, and the role that it played in the householder case. Right. And we, we should, you mentioned that it would grandfather people that serve on boards. John Houston shocked everybody, the lieutenant governor last year, while, while serving as lieutenant governor, he joined the board of a bank. It's mind boggling that that was allowed to happen. I would love it to see this bill pass to stop that from ever happening again. Because who does John Houston represent? The people profiting at the bank or the people of Ohio? You really mm-hmm. can't have that kind of a conflict of interest. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is Ohio's air about to get cleaner with the closure of an old coal plant? Bo or Lisa, can Mike DeWine and Matt Huffman save the coal plant by declaring coal to be green energy? (laughs) (laughs) It's not beyond the realm of possibility these days. But the WH Samus plant, which is in Stratton, Ohio, it sits on State Highway 7 right alongside the Ohio River. It was built in 1956. It is closing in July. It's currently owned by Energy Harbor, but it was built as the Ohio Edison plant, then became First Energy, and then it Energy Harbor, which is the former First Energy Solutions, took it over in 2019. So they, in their layoff notice to the uh, state, they said that 140 workers will be laid off in phases beginning in March. Um, this was something that was not directly a part of House Bill 6. As we know, House Bill 6 still supports two coal plants, one of them not even in Ohio. But when they've been talking about closing this plant for years, and then they were talking about maybe closing it, you know, about 2018 or so, but then House Bill 6 changed those plans. Uh, Energy Harbor CEO uh, John Judd says that the nuke plant bailout that was part of House Bill 6, but no longer, allowed Samus to continue operating beyond that initial closure date. But so it will help clean our air. Coal plants are one of the worst things for the for the air in Ohio. There have been lawsuits against Ohio for all the pollution it generates. This would be a great thing for our environment, right? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know that we didn't say how much emissions are, but, you know, coal plants are, are the dirtiest energy that we have. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are Ohio's representatives in U.S. Congress saying about the brinksmanship going on in Washington about the debt ceiling, which I believe, Layla, we officially hit Mm -hmm, this morning? mm -hmm. Yeah, today's the day. And well, Republicans across the board are looking for budget cut negotiations before they are willing to approve a debt ceiling increase. Representative Dave Joyce from South Russell put out a statement calling for both parties to find some common ground on thoughtful fiscal reforms that would put the country on a more stable financial path. Representative Max Miller from Rocky River said the federal government typically increases its spending each year by 5%, and he'd like to see that reduced to 3%. He added that it's it's important, though, not to let the nation default on its debt to avoid the catastrophic fallout that could occur. Representative Bob Lotta from Bullet Green echoed concerns about out-of-control spending and said the government has to restore accountability to the budgetary process. And, and then, you know, your favorite congressman and mine, Jim Jordan, <laughs> said he'd like a commitment from Joe Biden that spending would at least stay where it is without an increase. 
And then on the other hand, Ohio's Democrats want the debt ceiling increased without conditions. And they point out that during the Trump administration, Republicans and Democrats passed three debt ceiling increases without this kind of brinkmanship. Senator Sherrod Brown said that failing to raise the debt limit would be a, quote, gift to China. He said the Chinese Communist Party wants us to undermine our nation's global leadership. He said we need to, to pay out bills on time and not play games with our full faith and credit. And Representative Chantel Brown from Warrensville Heights said she's hoping for cooperation between the parties before we experience the economic consequences of default. It would be nice, though, if they came to a compromise, because the Republicans that are fighting this are not wrong. The debt's out of control. I remember in my younger years when the debt was seen as a crisis, and it has multiplied so far beyond that, and nobody seems to care. And when you look at what the debt is of this country per capita, it's a staggering amount of money. So there is something to be said for let's let's rein in the spending. Let's become more efficient. There's clearly uh, spending that you can't control. You got you got Medicare, you got Medicaid, you got you know Social Security, and all of that rolling around. But but there is nobody trying to rein in spending. Nobody, and so at least somebody's saying, "Hey, before we raise the debt ceiling, let's do some things." Of course, the brinksmanship will destroy. It. We'll lose jobs. It'll crush investment. We'll lose. The, the faith of the international community. It's very sad that this is the way it gets done. Do you, do you drive past on 77 North and there's the debt ceiling calculator and it's, it's constantly rolling like it's a digital board that shows you how much the, the country owes and how much each person has to pay? And my kids are like, wait, what? Like It's like, I don't know. It's been a while since I looked at it, but it was 70 some thousand dollars last time per person. Because when I was a kid, I was like, hey, can we all just like give a dollar and get rid of it? Right. No, it's like 70 some thousand dollars each of us would have to pay to pay it off each American, which is just ludicrous and scary right. because our kids and their kids. I mean, we do need we talk about all the time. You know, we talk about the green energy. We need to think about our kids future like this matters to our kids future. There was a point where where military spending wasn't viewed to stop spending on the military. Everybody knows you need a strong military, but it was looked at for efficiency. Are we wasting money on programs that we shouldn't be wasting money on that, or that some congressman has brought home as pork? And we haven't had conversations like that forever. I mean, it's so... No, they brought pork back. Remember, they're like, "Yay, pork! Let's have more earmarks." Yeah, so I, I, I wish this would yield a compromise where they did work together. But it's not about that. But it's those about compromises have to come before we reach this fever pitch moment of. Yeah, I'm right. not. I'm not arguing yeah, I'm with for, for that. I just think there needs to be a discussion in a calmer manner about debt. Yeah. If the Republicans are serious about reining it in, then what they should get is a promise to put together some sort of bipartisan committee and really start working on it. The brinksmanship is foolish. They're going to say it's our only leverage. If we don't do this, nobody will ever talk about it. But you just we can't lose our credibility with the international community. Good story by Sabrina Eaton. Check it out. It is on Cleveland.com. And this is Today in Ohio. Well, this won't make it easier, Laura, to get a school levy passed in Parma. What's the new vice president of the school board charged with? And we just have a story pop up this morning. I saw that the, the, is the fourth try, a char, the charm in Parma to try to get a new high school. But um, it's forgery. 
The, the school won't comment on this, but Amanda Carpus, newly elected vice president of the Parma City School Board of Education, she was arrested on January 11, charged with felony forgery, resulting from some kind of incident that happened in September. Don't have a lot of details on this yet, but the Parma police lieutenant in charge did say there are allegations that she misused a credit card that was the property of the Athletic Booster Club when she was president. When that was discovered, she created he says, a forged document to cover up the fraudulent purchase. I don't know if we're talking about misusing a credit card, buying the wrong thing, you know, buying something personal and then lying about it later, or if we're talking about thousands of dollars in fraud. But yeah, this raises all sorts of questions. Well, Parma hasn't been able to get a school tax pass right. forever. I mean, we, we talked about the federal debt. Parma voters are controlling the spending in Parma by refusing to to raise the uh, taxes there. Mm-hmm. I just ha- I would think you would have a very hard time going to voters saying, hey, raise the tax when your school board vice president is being looked upon as a crook. Yeah, and she's a 2003 Valley Forge High School graduate. She lives in Parma Heights, first elected in 2017. Her term expires in 2025. So this is not someone new. This is someone probably everybody in town knows, is my guess. Okay, it's Today in Ohio. Is the experience of seeing a movie in a theater more at risk? What's the latest theater to shut off its projectors, Lisa? It's the AMC Classic Soul in 16, which is now closed for good. It opened back in 1991 with eight screens, and uh, then it was it went through ownership changes and it doubled its size in 1997. And there's another one nearby in the southeast suburbs, uh, Chagrin Cinemas is 10 miles away from this one in Solon. They're closing this Sunday for good on you know on the 22nd. Now AMC still has other Northeast. Ohio locations in Brooklyn, Rocky River, and Ashtabula. But I, I, I wonder if if theater going will become a niche experience, like kind of like a Cedar Lee or an art house type theater. Because, you know, I was able to see movies that were still in theaters on HBO Max, you know, and that's starting to happen with more frequency where you can see movies that are running on your television. Here's what I want to know. Did this Solon Theater have recliners? Because if you don't have recliners, you are not going to compete with the ones that do, which is the majority of the theaters out there. And the recliners make it better than sitting at home on your couch and watching a watching a movie. Plus, you're not distracted when you're at a movie theater. And it's, I don't go to movies very often at all. But there is something to be said about the experience and being in the darkness and just focused on this giant screen. In a recliner. Time, yeah, in a recliner. I took I took my son to see Top Gun last year. So that was like... I think it for me, but, and we were, it was so, the theater was so packed. We were in the front row and we bought tickets beforehand. I mean, not a lot beforehand, but that's how busy it was. But really, if and you, it, if, it was an AMC and they do have recliners. Have, that's you, have you ever been, after you've had the recliner experience, have you tried going back to the old school theater and <laughs> no. sat there in those like fold down chairs? And it's like, what am I doing here? Wasting my time. I bet it, I bet it's about as comfortable as Playhouse Square, right? <laughs> you don't go there for the comfort of the seat. Right, right. I, I do think they're competing with something that that was inevitable. The screens people have at home by scale are as big as they are in the movie theater based on how far you sit from them. You can Mm -hmm. pretty much recreate the movie experience at home without having people reading their phones, without having people talking, without having people getting up and going back to the refreshment stand 14 times. And 
you know, at home, if something comes up, you're able to pause it. I think a lot of people are doing what Lisa talked about. They're checking it out on HBO Max and Netflix and other places. I, I, I do wonder if you're right. It's going to be a niche experience. There'll be far fewer theaters to see movies at, but then it may, will make it a special moment. With mm-hmm. recliners. <laughs> <laughs> and and seat seat side service. <laughs> exactly. And and alcohol. Yeah. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What percentage of Ohio renters use thirty five percent or more of their incomes for rent and where is this problem the most severe? Layla, using more than a third of your income for rent has got to be a crippling financial mm-hmm. condition. Yeah, thirty percent is the share of your income that they say should be the maximum spent on housing costs. Beyond that, you know, housing is really considered unaffordable. Well, Zachary Smith tells us that according to new Census Bureau estimates, at least one third of renters in forty two of Ohio's eighty eight counties spend thirty five percent or more of their income on rent and other housing costs. It's a trend that's most prevalent across Southeast Ohio, which also has the dubious distinction of of having some of the highest poverty rates and and lowest incomes in the state. Six of of the seven counties where people most often spend more than 35% of their income to cover housing costs are in that section of the state. It bears mentioning that the two highest rates are counties with large college populations. Athens, 50.2% of the households use at least 35% of their income on housing, and Portage, 46.9%, which is you know, likely due in part to lower income students living in off-campus housing. In Cuyahoga County, more than 38% of residents are spending more than they should on on income uh, or of their income on housing. Luckily, you know, at least for the time being, it appears that the median income is climbing faster than rents in some of the hardest hit areas. Morgan County, for example, has seen the, the highest increase in median rent at 19.6%, but they've seen a 24.5% increase in median income. I wonder if they should wipe college towns from these ratings because, of course... It does skew it, College students are using a high percentage of their income. They don't have much income. They're college students. Right. So that doesn't really... It's not an apples-to-apples comparison. Well, and a lot of them subsidized by their family, which doesn't really count as income for them. So it it really is not uh, an accurate analysis in that regard. But... In other places where, where we're not talking about college towns, I think uh, I think this is pretty staggering. Okay, it's today in Ohio. Let's get one more in. There is a rare opportunity to buy into the Northeast Ohio wine business. Laura, what is it? Where is it located? And how much will it cost? Well, there's not that many places that you can do wine in uh, Northeast Ohio, but this is the Grand River Valley, which has become quite a destination, and it's Benny Vino Winery in Geneva. He started the op- sorry, Benny Bucci. He started this operation in 2010 in a former lumber warehouse in Perry. Moved down to the road to this region, and opened in 2017 on a seven-acre wooded property with a 1,600-foot tasting room, a crush house, a tank bottling room, a lab, and a cabin. This is all available for $2.5 million if you are looking to get in the wine business, but you're probably not going to grow your own grapes. He buys them from the West Coast and New York growers. Yeah, I know. I still have trouble with the Ohio wine industry. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just maybe someday yeah, you're with, not the with only climate one. change. Well, climate change may make us the wine spot of the world. I don't know. You're a wine snob. 
Check it out on cleveland.com. That's it for this episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Friday. Friday.